Welcome to Talent Hub Talk. I'm Ben Duncan, and on this podcast, I will be interviewing prominent and inspirational figures from both the local ANZ and global Southsource Ohio. Tired of wasting time on tedious processes? Try Form Assembly, the secure, all-in-one Salesforce connected data collection platform. Form Assembly helps customers streamline and automate data collection processes, enabling organizations in all industries to save an average of 55 hours each week on manual data entry. Using the platform's new workflow builder, non-technical users can map entire data collection workflows, eliminate inefficient processes, and make better, faster decisions, all without code or help from IT. Visit www.formassembly.com forward slash talent hub to learn more about the number one enterprise data collection platform for Salesforce. In today's episode, I am joined by Melissa Shepard. Melissa is a Salesforce certified technical architect, a golden hoodie recipient, and the founder of her own Salesforce consulting business. Through the episode, we discussed what first attracted Melissa to a career in software engineering and how she got started in this space. We look at how she came across Salesforce and what her thoughts were on the platform and when she uh, she first moved across from having been a Java and .NET developer. Then we look at some of the time she spent in product development and discuss whether or not you gain some different challenges and experiences between working in product development and implementation work. Melissa then shares her insight around what she feels is the difference between a developer or engineer and an architect. And then we explore her CTA journey, why she went down that path, what the inspiration was, and uh, how important it is for people to have a why um, when they're going through the CTA journey and how hers changed over time. We look at why the CTA journey might not be right for everyone and then discuss how her role has changed or how she has changed the focus of her business since becoming a CTA. We then discuss the golden hoodie and how that compared to passing the review board. Obviously very different, but uh, interesting to hear Melissa's thoughts on what she felt was a bigger achievement. I think I believe that she is the only CTA golden hoodie recipient. So yeah, really interesting to hear her views on that. And then we look at her new venture, a non-for-profit, not-for-profit organization called Scale Up Arcs. And Melissa explains her plans for this venture and what she's looking to achieve. So yeah, really, really interesting to hear Melissa's views. She's been in the ecosystem for a long time and has seen a lot along the way. So great to hear her thoughts on the different things she's achieved and uh, the, the different roles she's played over the years. I hope you enjoy the episode. And if you do, please do subscribe for future episodes that are coming through. Melissa, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. We've uh, got a, a number of things to discuss. Um, you've uh, you've been in this ecosystem for for a while yet yeah, now, so I'm I'm really interested to hear about your journey. Let's look at your career before Salesforce first, and um, and obviously you, you, I, I believe your career started as a developer, as a software engineer. Is is that right? Yes, that's correct. So what was it that first interested you about being a, a, working with computers and, and working as a developer, I guess? Sure. So that's actually what I went to school for. So growing up, um, I was always good at math and I did play on computers a bit. And when I went to college, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. When I sat with my advisor, she's like, well, what are you good at? And I said, math. And I was told that I should go to college for math. 
but I didn't want to be a teacher. So the school I went to actually was a teaching school and it was okay. a big school for people teaching math, but I didn't want to do that. So she thought, well, maybe computer science would be a better choice for you. So I said, okay, that sounds good. And I entered the computer science program. I did do math as well in parallel. So I did a um, dual track and I was one of two females in my computer science department and it was very small. It was um, late nineties and that's how I ended up in computers. So I just followed the natural progression of graduating and then getting a job in um, computers. And at first I was doing web app development. So I was developing an online auction And then I went to Java development and I was doing that for a while. And then I ended up getting into .NET development. Nice. So when when you did start um, studying and uh, I guess learning to be a a computer scientist, a software engineer, what what, uh, did you take kind of naturally to it? Did did you pick it out quickly and was it something you instantly enjoyed? You know, it's funny. I remember at the beginning, I wasn't really quite sure exactly what was going on (laughs) because you're doing all this (laughs) command lines and DOS stuff. And I was just like, we were telnetting around the internet. And I just didn't really know what I was doing. I was like, what is this? What am I even doing? Writing C, I didn't really get it because I was just so used to computer programs as being these nice, fancy things that run on your computer. And here I was doing all this command line stuff, black and white. So it wasn't until I got into like Visual Basic, and um and stuff like that where i actually started to get it like oh okay this is how we create the programs that run on the computer it's just different language you know different different uh programming stack <laughs> but yeah it took a little bit to kind of get into it but once i did i really did take to it pretty quickly and then you you said you started with java then went into net like how you know i spend most of my time talking to salesforce professionals so in terms of like going between different programming languages, is that relatively easy um, at that kind of early stage of your career? Yeah, I think it is. I think once you learn one language, it's easy to pick up another. And I know a whole bunch of others like VB, .NET, like I mentioned, VB, um, C++, um, C Sharp, a whole, a whole bunch of them. So I just learned a lot of the different languages as a developer, and it was easy to pick them all up. And I did a lot of JavaScript as well. Okay. So then when you, um, when you found Salesforce or, or Salesforce found you either way, um, what were your, what were your first thoughts? I, I, and I guess, how did you come across Salesforce, but coming from that software engineering background where you're building everything to then moving into the Salesforce world, was, was it something you instantly enjoyed or did you kind of, cause some people have this, um, opinion that, you know, um, Salesforce back then, especially probably wasn't software engineering because the platform was built for you. Right. It wasn't whatsoever. <laughs> so I'll explain <laughs> that. It's, it's actually very interesting. So I was hired into um, a very small IT department for a startup company. And I was hired because of my, my .NET skills. And they had an ERP system that was written in .NET and they needed to customize it. They also need to build out customer and partner portals um, in .NET. And so I was hired on to work on that stuff. And while I was doing that, I was also given Salesforce. So my boss said, here, Salesforce, sit with the customers, which were the different business people within the company, figure out what they need and customize it. And I was just going in, I was just dragging stuff around. And I was like, this is pretty cool. And then I was over here trying to customize the .NET ERP. And it was a pain. And it was just like so kludgy. And it was not easy to get customizations done. And here I am in Salesforce, just dragging stuff around and 
I would have stuff done pretty quickly. And I liked the fact that I could just get stuff done quick and deliver it to the users because I saw that there was more value for them delivering them um, the customizations really fast as opposed to the .NET customizations, which would take forever. So also I wrote um, integration middleware to integrate the systems as well and to integrate the customer and partner portals with Salesforce. So I was also introduced to integration architecture and kind of like the more enterprise architecture in that job as well. And this was back in 2006. This was early in the Salesforce days. And yeah, it was very, it was much different. There was no um, force.com platform back then. There was S controls, I believe. Yeah. That's it. That's all we had. And I don't even think we had sandboxes when I first started with it. We had to send everything to production. So as you can imagine, it was a little scary doing these integrations between ERP and Salesforce in, in a production environment. Yeah, for sure. So, and I always like to ask this question when people have been in the ecosystem so early, did you see a career in Salesforce at that point? No, I didn't actually. Um, I really liked it a lot. I liked it better than, like I said, I liked it better than doing the .NET stuff because I just saw the value and I was able to help people quicker and I liked that. But I also liked the fact that I was supporting more of the business as opposed to writing software, which is a different, it's a whole different type of um, development. And so I really liked working with the users and, and figuring out problems and helping them solve issues. So I decided to, to try to stick with it. And I ended up going to another company that was, um, they built integration middleware. And I got to work on the middleware doing the software development, but I also got to work on the Salesforce adapter. And then I ended up transitioning to working with our clients. So it was more customer facing. So it was kind of cool. I got to work on their integrations and um, kind of be more of a consultant. Sorry, even then I still didn't see a career in it. There weren't a lot of companies using it back then, but I still tried to stick with it. Because <laughs> that was what, so you're probably what six or seven years into the Salesforce um, journey at that point, not not necessarily yourself, but the, the platform as a whole, like the Salesforce CRM was probably about six years old at that point. It wasn't widely adopted still. Like I would look for Salesforce work and it would be, you know, there wouldn't be much out there, but I was able to find stuff here and there. And it was really around, I would say 2010, 2011, that I just really started seeing it emerge a lot more and there were a lot more jobs out there. And that's when I felt like, okay, maybe this was a good decision to stick with us. <laughs> yeah, no regrets <laughs> at that point. And now I guess. And now it's just it's crazy <laughs> yeah so you've got an interesting background in that you've done product development as well as consulting um yep. and uh, you know we, we see a lot of people that do consulting work in australia we don't see that many people that do product development work i guess a lot of the the you know if we look at the kind of app exchange products and things like that a lot of them are a head office um, in the States or, or Europe. Um, we don't have a huge amount here. But in terms of like the, that kind of mindset and, and the, the approach from consulting and product development, does it really give you a different challenge as, a, as an engineer? Yeah, it definitely does. So once I went into product development, it was more like being in an engineering environment again. So when I was working on that um, integration middleware, I was back into an engineering type department, we were running scrum teams, all that. Um, same with product development. So I, I loved it. And the thing is, is I actually had another job offer the day I went in to interview for that position. And I went in there and they told me what they were building. And I'm like, this is so cool. I want to build this. I think this is going to be big. 
And so I got the opportunity to be their lead developer and help architect it all. And I had a lot of um, influence on some of the decisions we made and the direction of the software. So stuck with that. And a year later, it was acquired by Salesforce. So I'm glad I stuck with my instinct to uh, stay with that job. I And I turned the other one down. And what was the product? It was Haywire Live Text, which then became Salesforce Live Message, which is now the messaging feature of uh, Service Cloud. So the two-way SMS and then the texting capabilities out of Salesforce. So that must be pretty cool, like even now to to think that, you know, you were involved and heavily involved in, in building that product and it's still in use today. Obviously, there will have been iterations and, and so what, but um, but yeah, that must be pretty, uh, like if you're on a project and um, and, and that's a feature of, of the pro- project you're delivering, it must be pretty cool. Yeah, it definitely is. And I'm the person that understands how it should be used and what it's used for and how to set it up and how it should work. But it's also come a long way since then. So there's a lot more features and bells and whistles as well. So and, and you mentioned you were involved in the architecture and the development. So that leads me nicely into my next question, because, um, you know, a lot of people that do development think they do architecture because they design parts of a solution. But what, what in your view, is the difference between a developer or, or an engineer and an architect in the Salesforce ecosystem? So I feel like the architect has more of the vision of where something should be going. So I always say instead of just seeing two steps ahead, they see 10 steps ahead. So there were recommendations I was making, such as let's make this, let's create a texting API that can be used anywhere within Salesforce. That was an idea I put out there instead of just having it tightly coupled to this this two-way texting capability. Things like that, having a little bit more vision as opposed to actually just solving a problem. So I think like the developer, the engineer, they're solving the problem at hand, whereas the architect is more of the visionary. And I see, I see those two being combined a lot where they think the architect is the person doing these solutions coming up with these solutions like an apex or whatever as opposed to being the visionary and seeing where something should be going like creating a roadmap i should i would say like thinking the architect is trying to design a roadmap knows all the risks takes into consideration a lot of other factors when creating this roadmap and you you have been operating as an architect, obviously, for, for a number of years now. And, and obviously, a lot of that period, a lot of that time has been very, um, very tightly aligned to the Salesforce ecosystem. So at what point did the CTA become something that was, was on your kind of radar? And, and when did you decide to go down that route and, and really kind of knuckle down and, and approach that, um, that, that journey? So I was aware of it probably um, around 2012, 13, 14. But it wasn't until 2016 when I actually, um, I had my own company, but then I became a Salesforce partner in 2016. And that's when I thought maybe I should start looking at CTA to give myself a little bit more credibility as a partner and as an architect, because I really wanted my company to be architect focused and really um, specialize in architecture. So had you, had you done certs before that point? I actually hadn't. And the reason is because having so much experience, I was able to get by without any certifications. So at that point, I thought, okay, I need to start working on certifications because there is credibility with that. And um, as a partner, I had to have a certification. So I went for the platform developer certification. Then it also qualified me for CTA. To, it was back when they still had the multiple choice exam. And I believe that changed in 2017. 
So um, I, you know, and I wasn't nearly ready for that journey back then. It's funny. It's like, I thought I was, but I definitely wasn't. Um, It's just a whole other thing that people don't fully understand what's involved. And it wasn't until I started working on it that I (laughs) saw what it really was. Or I, yeah, I was helping other people on their journeys. I was like, wow, this is a lot more than what I thought it was going to be. So, and and I've seen some of your your content as well around, you know, the importance of of knowing why you're doing it. So, was was your why at that point? Uh, it was the credibility. It was the you know to support the 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 credibility of your your business. That was the main driver. Absolutely, that's what it was, and I felt like it, I had to do it, and I also felt like this is something that. I want to do as a career path. So this will help me solidify myself as an architect, as well as have the credibility as a partner. And that changed over time. Okay. And through the journey or like you did that kind of become more apparent, like as you went along the journey or or did you kind of know that when you say it changed at what point? Yeah. So in 2019, I started helping a couple other friends preparing for their review boards, Gemma and Matt, um, Matt Morris and, and Gemma Lazard who founded Ladies V Architects, two very close friends of mine. I was helping them and I saw the amount of work that needed to go into the journey. And even then I still didn't know the amount of work that had to go. And I saw a glimpse of it and I was like, wow, this is a lot. So I stepped aside for a bit. And then I came back to it in 2020. And that's when I um, actually attempted my first board. I got a date and I only had a few months to study. And I thought, okay, well, I can, I can maybe get this done. And I still was just going at it more for the credibility at that point. And I didn't pass my first attempt. I was actually terrified. I was excited to do it. I was very, very nervous. And that's not a way to go into your your review board. You really need to be confident. And you need to get to the point where you think, I can just walk in there and show them what I'm made of, and this will be no problem. And I was not there whatsoever. I just didn't have enough time. I didn't have enough confidence. So then that was very traumatic for me. And it kind of sparked something in me where I said, okay, I'm going to pick myself up and I'm going to do this again. And I'm going to find people to do it with me because I knew that I needed a study group at that point. I didn't have one. I needed it. I need to work with community. Um, I was terrified to present to outside people, but I knew I had to do it. I'd only been presenting to my coach one-on-one, but I had to do it in order to gain the confidence and get over the fear. So that's when I started my uh, CTA study Slack. And it was really with just some people from Flow Republic. I was in Flow Republic at the time. And then I put it out to um, the LBA group and the architect group and saying, hey, if anyone wants to join us, come study with us. And, you know, people started coming and then they were bringing their friends and then those people were bringing their friends and it just started growing. And I was like, wow, okay, this is more than a study group. It became a study community. So I found that by doing that, I was, I was gaining a lot of satisfaction from helping other people and seeing them succeed. And it through that, through running the study group and studying with everyone, I was no longer in a rush to get the CTA. In fact, I was like, I'm seeing all these other people pass and I'm helping them. I could even just not do it and be okay. But everyone's like, no, you have to, you have to. So basically I created this journey by kind of by accident of me working towards it, but bringing a whole bunch of other people along for the ride with me and then getting to see them succeed along the way. And it was just very fulfilling. I found that the reason why I wanted to do CTA by the time I got there was to be an example, 
to use it to help others and to be a more of a mentor and um, and a teacher for others that want to be architects or embark on the CT journey. So did that become a stronger why for you? It definitely did. And I think that helped me pass the second time around because I was just so adamant that I wanted to pass this so that I could help other people. Yeah, nice. Again, going back to some of your content, I, I know you've put out some stuff around, you know, it's not the right path for everyone. Why, why do you think that is? Like, Because I, I think there is some pressure to, across the ecosystem for people that want to be architects and, and, you know, say that they are architects and are doing architecture jobs, that the CTA is, is something that people should kind of aim for. But uh, your content kind of uh, mentions that, you know, it's not necessarily, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be your path. So in what examples would you say it's not necessarily the right path for people? So the CTA really is somebody that's at an enterprise level working on large scale projects, but multiple work streams going, um, you know, very global types of projects. And it's, it's managing a lot of risk. And it's also understanding how to manage the client and expectations and being able to solve for business problems with solutions that are really probably the most simplest things that you can think of to meet the requirement, which is kind of a little different than the problem solver that a lot of companies look for in an architect. So I see, I see a lot of the architect jobs out there as being like solution engineer and it's in the projects are a lot smaller and they're usually more like, um, you know, there's not multiple work streams going in them. So you can be a great architect, an amazing architect, and not go for the CTA. The CTA is kind of like an umbrella that covers a whole bunch of other things besides this technical architect that's solutioning and helping to drive some process and, you know, maybe overseeing DevOps, things like that. It's, it's just you're wearing multiple hats and um, you're, you're communicating with the client and you're communicating with higher level executives and that's maybe that's not for everyone. Maybe not everyone wants to do that. I I can tell you on the job that's actually not like my favorite thing to do. So my why became I'm going to get this not because I want to do that kind of job, but because I want to be able to teach other people that do want to do that job. So I feel like you either have to really want to do that, or you have to have some other reason to go for it, like being a mentor, being a teacher. And not just saying, I just, I think I need to do this because that's what the ecosystem is telling me that you can be a great architect. In fact, I want to try to help create architects that really know what they're doing and help train them and skill them up without them feeling like they have to go for CTA, but also support them to go for CTA if that's what they want to do. Yeah, that makes sense. And and you obviously you said that's not your favorite thing to do in terms of what that now gives you the the credibility and the the confidence to do as well, I guess, uh, having passed. But how have things changed for you since um, passing the review board? Like, do you obviously you're, you're mentoring, you're continuing to mentor and teach, but in terms of your your consulting business and um, do you feel it, it like do you walk into a room with with that extra level of confidence and the credibility that you initially started the journey for? I definitely do. And also, I can help people when I am on a project, I can help mentor them. And I give them a lot of information. And I tell them things that they wouldn't otherwise know. They're like, wow, I didn't know that. And I'm I'm like, I'm just basically feeding them information (laughs) that I've learned just to help them become better at their jobs. So because of that, I'm pivoting my consulting company to be more advisory level. I do love advising. I love doing advisory work. Uh, with companies. 
but also mentoring and coaching people on the job that want, like maybe they're entry level or they're junior level or they're maybe mid to senior level and they want to become architect anywhere in that spectrum, just work with them on the job, help them solve their business problems and using best practices and, and really thinking through things like, well, does this really make sense for the user? You know, when they're coming up with solutions, because that's another thing that a CTA has to do is not just come up with a technical solution, but think, okay, is this the best user experience? Is, am I doing what's best for the business and for the business users? So maybe your technical solution will change a bit once you start thinking in that way. So I find that I really am going to pivot my company to be more along the mentorship and coaching line of of things instead of like actual consulting. So it's like kind of consulting, but it's consulting to help partners and um, customers, Salesforce professionals become better at what they do through on the job training, basically. There's that kind of program architect role within Salesforce. Um, and that kind of that's that advisory piece, right, where you kind of you work with a customer to, to make sure things are done properly. Yeah. So kind of like an outside Salesforce uh, program architect. <laughs> Yeah, nice. Um, do are you still a software engineer at heart? I do play around, and when I want to do POCs, I'll I'll do some coding and I'll build some things. But I don't love sitting and writing code for hours and hours. But I do like to build something when um, I really want to try something out. I'll just go and I'll I'll build it. I'll write code. I just wrote an app that was built with Node.js on Heroku and um, and Canvas within Salesforce, and that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, I I, um, I think it's just incredible. Um, like the ability to to code is just, uh, you know, for me, I, someone that that has no idea how it works and how it all kind of fits together. It's just just to be able to build these things. And I guess if you've come through that background and you still have that ability, it must just be cool sometimes just to jump in and play around and and see what you can still do. Yep, absolutely. And you know, even if you don't have that background, I, I think the decorative stuff is just as important. So, you know, I I've learned a lot about flow and and. Uh, some of the other platform features from some of my admin friends, things that I, I would never have known and things that are just so cool. So I see a lot out there in, in the Twitter space, this the developer versus admin. And I just, it's, it's all just going to go together. It's all equally important. Yeah, for sure. And and you mentioned um, previously you, you had, um, you know, you, you knew other programming languages like JavaScript as an example. So like when, um, what what kind of um, impact do you think that made on the ecosystem when um, Salesforce kind of stripped back Aura and, and brought in um, web components? Like, what what impact will that have on bringing other software engineers into the ecosystem? I think that definitely um, created a lower barrier to entry for a lot of other web developers to get into the Salesforce ecosystem. So back before when it was mostly just Apex, and then Aura came. It was like if you had Java skills, it was really easy to learn Salesforce. Well, now it's like if you have web development skills, it's really easy to learn Salesforce. So I think yeah. it's great, and it it opens it opens up the ecosystem to a lot more people. Definitely, definitely. And um, I have to apologize to any previous guests if I've got this wrong, but I'm I'm 99% sure you're the only CTA that we've had on the the podcast that also received the golden hoodie. And I, I don't know of any others out there in the ecosystem, but I'm I'm thinking you're you're definitely the only person we've had on the the podcast that has done both. So how did they compare? Like, because one is obviously like personal achievement in terms of, you know, you know your stuff, you've got this amazing level of knowledge across the ecosystem. And then the second one is the, the value you provide to others. So would you say one was a, a bigger achievement than the other? Um, I really don't. I mean, 
this, so because they kind of went together. Um, it's funny. I think I am the only Golden Hoodie CTA now. I don't know of any others. I could be wrong, but I don't know of any others. But yeah, so the Golden Hoodie was just really unexpected. And here, you know, I was just building this community and I was just trying to study for CTA and then really just found that I loved helping others. And then just, you know, I, I was allowing anyone really to join the group. I wasn't being um, selective and saying, well, only you can join or, you know, I was just kind of letting anyone that wanted to get involved join. And so I was really being inclusive. And that was my, that was really what I was going for is inclusivity. And it really kind of opened my eyes to the fact that we need to make the whole architect path inclusive. And I don't see that completely happening yet. And I want to try to make a difference there. So that was really the beginning of me trying to bring more inclusivity into the architect path. And that's what I see the golden hoodie is representing was that that pl the platform of inclusivity for anyone that wants to study, study for this to study for it. The CTA was just a lot of studying and hard work. And yes, when I got that email saying I passed, I mean, I was beyond thrilled, you know, it was one of the best days I've ever had. It was nine in the morning on a Monday, you know, it was probably the best Monday I've ever had in my life. So, <laughs> but they're just two completely different things, but they go together. And then because of those two things, now I'm launching a nonprofit in order to help underserved and underrepresented enter the architect path and study to be architects and choose it as a career. Instead of this accidental architect, they can choose to be an architect, study and prepare. And then if they choose to do the CTA, then they can go on to um, study with me to prepare for that as well. So that's um, scale up arcs, which was going to be my next uh, question. Now, what's the, the kind of long-term vision for, for that initiative? Long-term vision is I uh, get a lot more architects out there in the ecosystem and hopefully a lot more CTAs, especially from groups that uh, maybe don't have the right access or the, the right, um, I would say, support. Sure. Maybe giving an avenue of support for people that just otherwise wouldn't have it and wouldn't think that they could actually go um, to be an architect because I don't really see much out there right now as far as um, training for architects. Salesforce has some great classes, but uh, we need more. Sure. So um, if anyone is interested in that, is that like a local group or, or is that on a global scale? Um, this will be global. Yep. Okay. And where's the best place for people to find information or, or connect with you to ask any questions, whether that's your journey or specifically around Scale Up Arc? So they could message me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, the website is in development right now. I have somebody working on it. So that will be launched hopefully by the end of April. And I'm hoping to have the program actually launched by this summer so I can actually start taking people in and building cohorts and getting some other CTAs involved to do some coaching and I'm still working out all, all those details about how it's going to um, go, but I'm working on the content right now as well. Nice, nice. Well, thank you so much for, for talking through your journey. I've really, really enjoyed hearing more about it. And uh, and yeah, obviously lots of inspiration in there for people that are, are either on the architect journey or potentially, you know, might feel one day that they, they would look towards getting towards that goal and, uh, and how you can help with the new venture. So uh, yeah, thanks so much and looking forward to seeing how that continues to grow and evolve. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited as well to see how it's all going to evolve. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's another uh, another exciting period you've got ahead of you, right? And putting that all together and another thing where you'll be able to look back and, and be proud of what you've achieved. Absolutely, yep. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of Town Hub Talk. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd love it if you could subscribe and also leave a short review. We're keen for this podcast to reach as many people in the Salesforce ecosystem as possible, and your reviews will help us do that.